When you thought it was safe to go back in the water, here you are listening to Episode 6, Season 2 of The Exchange, presented by Olam Specialty Coffee, hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey. I'm Mike Ferguson. This is our 17th podcast, and the topic is the coffee roaster and customer training. Fortunately, that's exactly what Mark and Todd talk about. It's a two-part episode because, well, we just can't help ourselves. And now, here they are. Mark and Todd. Welcome to The Exchange, presented by Olam Specialty Coffee. I'm your host, Mark Inman, and with me is our producer, Mike Ferguson, and my co-host, Todd (laughs) Hollywood Mackey. Todd, you know where I'm going with this already, so I can hear it. What happened? Oh, Mark, we have to go in this early to it. I was late to the recording session. Yes, 30 minutes I, late. Mr. Hollywood I, was out signing autographs from <laughs> wooing fans. I wish I could say that the, the path between my car door and and my seat here at the desk was crowded and just a dire uh, scene just trying to make my way. Clearly, it's not. I'll never live this down. Well, I saw you're your trending on Twitter right now. <laughs> All I can do is apologize to you and our listeners. Uh, Mike, of course, forgive me. Um, I feel as though things might be a little rocky, and I hope that I can win your good faith back by the end of the episode um, for our bright future ahead. And if you uh, did get a, uh, or lucky enough to get a photograph of Todd uh, making his way to the studio tonight, please send it to us uh, using hashtag Walk of Fame. And we will uh, post those photographs of Todd, you know, being out in the real world uh, on uh, on our webpage or Twitter. What do we have? I don't know what we have. Mr. Ferguson knows, but uh, we'll post it somewhere if you got that glimpse of Todd tonight, one of the lucky ones. I, I can already hear Mike, like, feverishly clicking his mouse. <laughs> Created a Twitter Adobe account. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it's great to be yes. back. We have uh, a, a very cool episode um, in the mix, uh, probably most likely a double episode that we're going to be working on here in season two, the coffee roaster and customer training, which is, uh, for sure. I mean, obviously a key consideration given the nature of the market and where things have gone in, in the last, you know, five to, to eight years. Um, but also something of a, a focus for me over the, uh, the course of my career and the different roles training wise, um, that I've played, including uh, the sort of advent of my role here at Olam Specialty. So I'm super excited to get into this. Uh, but before we move yeah. any further and and without chastising me and my late self anymore, uh, what's in your glass, Mark? Well, what's in my glass, Todd, is nothing because uh, I drank it all waiting for you. Uh, it, it was a really delicious... Um, we actually made this at a, a, a company retreat we picked a ton of Syrah grapes, uh, and this was two years ago. We picked the grapes, we crushed them, we uh, you know fermented it, barreled it, and we bottled it just uh, two weeks ago. So this is our Olam Syrah. Uh, so I'm half in the bag at this point because uh, I was waiting for you so long. 
Uh, oh, I just kept on. going and going and Boo. going. <laughs> Did it taste like Ian's feet, like on a no, on a late September it day? It actually <laughs> came out outstanding for a oh, well. Wow. And okay. for one, we started with really good grapes. I mean, the the vineyard yeah. that we went to was top notch, and I think it had a bit of everyone's feet in there. But that doesn't really make a difference once you get into fermentation. But um, sure. uh, and I think there's a case or two coming your guys' way, but it is well worth drinking. So. Very I nice sure one. hope so. Yeah. I was gonna say. I mean, we we have, uh, and and we've certainly had the the rosé from the same yeah. pit. Yeah, we made a rosé um, and a and a and a straight syrah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's exciting because the rosé was was punchy and, mm-hmm. and interesting, but like tasted to me a bit unhinged. Yeah, it'll be exciting to uh, to taste the the full red and and. Uh, yeah, I just hope some turns up. I mean, obviously we're in danger given your your review here. That, well, we've got uh, like maybe sixty-three cases, out. so I I I would venture to say we have plenty to send out to you. Holy hell! Really? We yeah. made that much wine? Oh Jeez. yeah, a, a barrel makes quite a bit. Okay. We even uh, bottled in magnums too, so we got lo- large format wines this year. All right, I'll take a I'll take a case yeah. of those. So how about you? What's in Thanks. your cup tonight, there, Tom? Uh, I yet again I am working from a can, uh, but I uh-huh. have something like that's pretty primo here. I mean, any beer drinker who's a fan of beer advocate or um, you know in the scene, as they say, in particular the New England scene, um, will I I hope at least would have heard of this beer. It's it's from Treehouse, which is of course a well known. Uh, but I am drinking a can of their beloved short run American double IPA juice machine. Wow. Um, quite and, a name. Yeah, this, yeah, it's quite a name. It's a fairly mysterious hop, uh, schedule on top of a, um, you know, a powerful malt, uh, bill. It's, uh, 8.2% ABV, just a absolute panoply of, uh, fruit. And, uh, it is, juicy i mean what can i say it's really nice. really nice so i'm working on that um we're amidst a, a heat wave out here in the northeast and um so yeah the can is sweating i'm super appreciative to have it by my side especially coming in with so much pressure and disdain uh, yeah. from not only you but from our producer mike but but yeah let's move on to the uh to the meat of the episode and and get into it um I, i'll kick it over to you i i feel like mm-hmm. i owe you this haven't uh-huh. kept you waiting uh-huh. how do you want to start the discussion off uh the coffee roaster and customer training well look i know we both have worked in this field uh i haven't done the training piece in a handful of years and i know last episode i talked i think uh, Mr. Ferguson dropped it on the uh, end of the episode how I met with Rex Tillerson to talk about um, the, the the subject of our last show. So I had I had breakfast this morning with um, a handful of people who are experts in the field of training in coffee. So oh yeah, I, who's that? Uh, <laughs> uh, Zev Stiegel from the you know founder of Starbucks. Um, <laughs> Hiramichi Tariba from Dotour Coffee in Japan, and then was lucky enough to run into Paul Bassett as I was paying my checks. So um, he sat down and gave me a couple tips. So I, I'm pretty much locked and loaded for this episode. And I know that you're, you know, you're coming in hot because you've been doing this for a while. But I, I got a few surprises for you tonight, my friend. Don't you? Cool. Worry. Well, hey, kick yeah. us off. What? What? So, like, zooming out. Let's 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 shape it up from thirty thousand feet. Give yeah. me your you know, three to four top like questions or concerns that you would hit any 
a growing roster with as it pertains to customer training, whether that's like program perspective or yeah. what have you. I have a handful of like main bullets and then we'll cut it up and we'll move the discussion from there. Well, I think the, the main points that I would, would bring in uh, early would be uh, knowing who you're training. I think the biggest mistake that roasters make is they try to lump all of their wholesale clients into a group training session. And the type of training that you would offer somebody who uh, owns a restaurant is going to be very different than somebody who owns an actual coffee house or a bakery because the type of service you'd be doing, the type of training you'd be doing, is a totally different focus. Uh, Secondly, I would say um, having your programs very well thought out and simplified, you know, cleaned up, you know, edited, nobody is going to sit through a training that is overly wonky, and and too overly detailed to have it very very streamlined um and then the later on you know get into it about the idea of you know do you charge for these things do you offer it for free and the type of staffing that you throw towards a training program sure okay cool yeah yeah so we're we're fairly well overlapped i think the you know i certainly have the the let's I call it treatment or the mm-hmm. communication style sure um you know are, are you overly stuffy and technical the sort of lab approach versus informal right. and and um, just more practical um you know I have certainly the the distribution mechanism is it a training center are you out and about obviously again to to follow up with you you have different types of clients with different needs yeah um you know and and i you know i have two that sort of take i think your third and and run but uh might kind of vary this a little bit one i have is you know standards your development whether that's uh something that is industry correlating Mm -hmm. or uh sort of unique to yourself and there's a lot of different examples out there in the marketplace that we can talk about Sure. Uh, and then, of course, the the a very critical piece, and, and this one I'm personally super passionate about, having been a trainer in a number of different capacities, starting at the the roaster level and in, in, in the roasting space, um, is team structure and how you approach the part of your team or parts of your team, um, and how they approach each other um, to create a successful training program because right. it is a high value, uh, high demand. Uh, part of the business. And I think, uh, unfortunately, and, and, uh, you know, to their own detriment, a lot of roasters don't necessarily look at this as critical as it is um, when it comes to, um, you know, what type of, uh, you know, value they put on these roles, what type of support they deliver. And um, do you, do you think that roasters still believe that today? I mean, it's gotten very competitive out there. It, it seems like that's your the one thing you have to do now, it's become your baseline is a very strong training program. Of course. Yeah. And and let's start there. So let's, let's talk about, you know, the, the team structure or the the role of the trainer, you know, in my mind, this is, uh, you know, this is a part of your generative business team, your sales team, your out front lines. Um, you know, I think this entered as a, you know, you have your salespeople who are closing sales and then you hand them off to account managers and or, you know, customer trainers. And, right. and this took like a secondary stage. I'm not arguing that roasters don't put enough value on having the trainer. What I'm trying to suggest is that I don't think a lot of people really recognize and then, um, you know, compensate for just how tiresome this role is. 
Oh, this is, yeah. you know, going back to to when I was training for a roaster, I mean, this was one of the most demanding jobs in terms of preparation, right? Just like you brought up at the gate, you know, you cannot go into a customer's uh, cafe or, you know, any, you know, training lab with a variety of folks. You can't sell a course in the, the space this day and age without being well prepared, have, you know, stylized and, and branded resources, you know, have like a, a, a backed up uh, position on, you know, your brewing techniques and standards. I mean, it, there's a lot of development and, you know, research and development, you could say, that goes into this. But there's also, you know, a huge amount of fatigue in setting the space, you know, administering the classes, the, the demand on communication, the emotional labor involved in trying to you know, tickle every attendee who's there. And then add to that, that when you are doing this as a wholesale trainer, you have this added piece of like, you know, what is most typically, at least in my experience, and certainly I think it's, it hopefully has gotten better for people who are operating in this space, but you have plenty of people who are mandated to be there. They, they're, they have to go as part of their training as they take on a job. They may take this seriously or not. Right. You have the objective of increasing the quality of the coffee for your employer. Um, you know, and you have your different success metrics, whether defined or not often less than defined. And you're going out and, and you're being forced to kind of uh, engage and excite uh, this really varied and, and sort of Ah, like loosely uh, held together, uh, you know, audience, um, you know, and, and it just, it's exhausting and challenging and, and you're doing like a fantastic amount of physical setup and then cleanup and breakdown. And it's just, it's a role that I feel like gets very little recognition for those aspects. And then on top of it, um, you know, it becomes one of those things. Think of a, a I mean, a great example of a coffee company with a world-class training program is counterculture, right? Right. Um, but think of the amount of inputs, you know, that are going into one of their training centers for the calendar they're keeping each week. I mean, sure. it's just unbelievable. And so in my opinion, you know, those roles should be absolutely at the, uh, you know, the, the top end of their, um, you know, their, uh, compensation structures and benefits for for how they're engaging their markets you know around uh sales because you know this is just a huge and critical engagement piece that keeps their customers coming back right Um, right you know and and again to reduce it to four words high value high fatigue um you know this is something that i think you know a lot of companies have to think proactively about well how do we how do we literally monetize this for our trainers? And then also, you know, how do we keep them uh, feeling excited and engaged when, you know, uh, a a significant percentage often of their audience is not necessarily as high on uh, what they're putting out there as they are, you know? Yeah. But I I do think that the, you know, when I was, you know, doing trainings back in the day, it was, something that you were like trying to get the account to do to learn how to do these things. You were, it was feeling like more of a, I'm trying, I'm begging you to pick up my standards. And mm. I think that today the a training program, I think that two things should be going on. One is it's a real opportunity for a coffee company that is adequately resourced because this is not a cheap thing to get into. Um, 
it, it's something that could set your brand apart from everybody around you by the quality of training or the attention to detail that you are insisting upon. And I think it's, uh, you know, I, I thought about, you know, Blue Bottle here in the Bay Area when they were first starting. They they had all these demands on a wholesale client. You had to use this type of espresso machine. You had to brew using their pour-over brewer. You had to complete training before they'd even sell you a pound of coffee. It actually establishes a standard that the account, then the, the, the dynamic shifts to, I need to learn this because I want to have this brand. It's like bars that used to uh, serve Guinness. You had to go through so much technical training to pour the Guinness correctly, or they would not sell you the kegs of beer. Now, I don't know if that's still going on. This is just something that I knew existed. I think it's an opportunity to really set the bar high, have a, a consistent training program. And now, if you've seen out there, Todd, the master class, you know, these online courses, you could, you know, Thomas Keller and, and uh, you, you know, the you know, various directors, you could listen to their theory on how they do what they do. Coffee's not that far from doing a thing like that. But I think you can really go very, very high concept with this if you have somebody good and monetize it. And it's not, I think the, the shift that needs to happen is we're not giving you this for free. This costs money, but this is something that is going to separate your business or make your coffee program a success or a failure. And if it's a failure, we want nothing to do with you. And it, it puts the customer in a very different position than, hey, you know, we got these trains if you guys want to take advantage of them, because then that's like a throwaway and, and they put as much energy into it as you did pitching it, which is this afterthought and, and kind of a, a plea to, you know, please participate to not make us look terrible when you guys are brewing our product. Totally. Yeah. And I think this gets into how you distribute, how you opt to distribute. Yeah. Um, the whole, you know, if then question is huge. Right. Um, you know, you need to take this course to get our coffee. This is a requirement for your key team members or, you know, we have to graduate your bar manager, um, you know, by such and such a time frame to, to set up as an account. Or even certified. Um, you, know, you need to be certified totally. to serve our product. Totally. But in that case, I mean, this gets back to, uh, you know, the question we raise about standards, you know, right. do you uh, correlate to uh, SCA standards and best practices mm -hmm. from an industry standpoint? Yeah. Um, are you more, um, let's say, you know, focused on your own best practices, for example, setting your recipes and, and communicating essentially in, in more direct ways? how to brew a particular coffee. Right. Um, you know, think of the, the famous uh, espresso blends for some of the bigger uh, specialty roasters. Sure. Hey, this is how this particular coffee is best presented. Um, you know, those things need to be defined and they need to be codified. And for sure, if you're going to be, you know, putting out a, a high value program that you're demanding is attended and engaged, this better be a program that, uh, you know, first and foremost, that speaks to different types of learners, you right. know, audio learners, right. visual learners, you know, kinetic learners. Um, these are all considerations. Any trainer uh, who's thinking big picture is going to be thinking not only, you know, the old saying, teachers teach how they learn, right? If, if I, uh, you know, learn visually, I'm going to load packets full of pictures, maybe use AV and you know, uh, be acting with my hands and, you know, doing this whole thing. Well, you know, if you're a good trainer, if trainer's worth their salt, 
they're going to be thinking practically and how to engage learners of all types, and they should be. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, the, the other question around team, just to not get off this main point mm-hmm. uh, too soon, but, you know, comes into how do you how do you create a cohesion in a team? And when you start talking about companies that are growing uh, and having to serve uh, a large and, and diversified wholesale base and or companies that have outposts in, in different cities and different uh, sub-markets, um, you know, there has to be some type of clear hierarchical, I mean, for lack of a better concept, uh, chain of command around, well, wh- who's right, right? Right. Uh, you know, we always joke in the in the Q program as instructors, well, eventually someone just has to be right, you know, and, and in the case of the Q, the instructor gets to say, well, you know, this is where we land together, right. full stop, right? Right. Um, and in the, in the case of a training program, there needs to be, it can't just be, well, today this coffee tasted great at this, you know, ratio, and, and so um, if I were there, I can change things to, to brew, you know, X, Y, Z, willy-nilly of, of any protocol. Um, and I think the companies that are most successful, they have distilled their programs into you know, physical resources and, and, you know, set, um, you know, regularly revised programs and, and, you know, actual resources, manuals, uh, teaching, uh, materials, et cetera. Um, but they're also able to, to create cohesion across multiple locations, whether that's out in the field at different customers and, or in different, uh, teaching labs. Um, by having this type of cooperation amongst their team. It's not just, hey, I'm a great basketball player. I'm just going to show up and, and shoot the ball and you take a look at what I'm doing. Right. It's, you know, we believe that coffee and our coffees more particularly are best brewed this way and here is how to do it. Right. Um, that way they, they essentially are able to, um, you know, create a real point of view and, and in particular for their brand everywhere that it's seen, which is, uh, again, you know, I, I always default when it comes to customer training to, uh, um, you know, to counterculture because they've just done such uh, an awesome job in such a widespread way, um, not to, to only, uh, pass along praise and respect there, but, sure. um, there's a, there's a number of great examples. Oh yeah. Um, but to shift gears, uh, you know, we get into, and, and we've sort of already just by, engaging this whole kind of wider team approach and talking about uh, some of the the aspects of the challenges of training as a team. We've talked about uh, distribution, and I think that one of the biggest macro questions is, you know, are you doing this on site at your roastery in your own training center, per se, or are you going to your customers and essentially trying to, like, get the attention of their staff while they're also engaging their customers, which, you know, if you've spent time as a trainer a and you've ever errand. had to do this, it is the worst yeah, type of work. No. I mean, you are in your own personal hell trying to get it done. So maybe you could wrap a little bit on the benefits of training centers or the lab approach right. um, and how you looked at it when you were um, you know, in the, in the wholesale roasting space. Yeah, I mean, we did a training center because we sold specific equipment that we used with our, our coffees and, and our customers use. So... It was the the same equipment that they would have in their establishment. So if if they were brewing, they, you know, they used the Feco brewers. If they were doing, you know, espresso training, uh, they would be on uh, um, Nuvo Simonelli's. And 
and vice, you know, and on down the line. So there was nothing different there. The only time we did stuff different was when, you know, Clover just, you know, wanted to do a demo for Northern California and we offered up our lab to do it. That was an experience to look at a piece of equipment that most people had only heard about and, and had the opportunity to go through a training, but that was not a part of our normal training program. Um, we certainly in the early days went into customers' establishments and tried to do training, and like you said, it is an utter nightmare to try to do that. If it's during work hours, it's it's horrible. If it's off hours, the staff cannot wait to get out of there. They don't want to be there because it's, you know, they're on the clock, but they're done for the day mentally. And they don't want to sit there and steam milk for two hours and, you know, brew batch after batch after batch. They just don't want to do it. So I always, you know, when when I had the resources to do so, I built a, you know, at first a small training room in our building and then it expanded uh, and especially when we started selling equipment, we would have an array of our you know, product line of what we were both selling to customers as well as um, placing when, when that was going on in our area, placing equipment. It was that type of, um, you know, they, they would know the equipment that they were using. And I'm a, I'm a large fan of that. I do think the challenge there becomes when you uh, have a, a company, um, again, like Counterculture, who started expanding or, or, you know, Batdorf and Bronson, who went from Olympia, Washington, down to Atlanta, all of a sudden you, you have to build a second center, a second roastery. A, you know, it's all of a sudden this gets to be very expensive uh, to continue to do this as your company expands. I, I, I think of Intelligentsia the same way. They went from Chicago to L.A. to New York, and now you're managing this network of training centers, and you can't exactly use the same trainer for each center because you have simultaneous trainings going on so you have to hire more staff that are qualified teachers you just can't have like you said earlier uh, just because you're a barista doesn't mean you know how to teach and doesn't mean you know how to um, impart what you know onto somebody who doesn't know this stuff so you have to really vet these trainers and and in my you know what I would have done you know as I had the company was hire talent like real talent somebody who had won the brewers you know championship the brewers cup or somebody who had won the world barista championship then when you're charging for these programs people are coming there to see a name that they know or the, a name they understand you it, there's an ability to monetize this that makes it worthwhile for the trainer that you're hiring and makes it worthwhile for the client who feels like they're getting an incredible value for their money to learn from somebody who's deemed to be the best in the industry at that given time. True, true. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I mean, that brings us into the question of how, how do you best monetize this or, uh, you know, what is what are the options, I guess we could say. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you see different folks uh, playing to different ends where, uh, you know, some of the some of the companies are doing enough direct to consumer business where there are trainings that mimic their wholesale training offerings um, that are sold, uh, you know, through web registration for, you know, regular classes. Uh, this might even be something that is is billed out to a wholesale customer and maybe netted to, to zero on, on a, 
any given invoice. Maybe it's a, a credit back or some sort of allowance, uh, like you said earlier, to uh, you know keep the account in good standing. I guess I'm curious, you know, from your experience, what have you seen and, and what do you think are the strongest ways to communicate that value to the customer? Because I think still the expectation for most uh, bigger accounts is that training is a value add. You right. Know, we we always joke um, out this way because you know old school uh, coffee, you know pre third wave specialty, um, you know it was assumed that you got free equipment with your right wholesale roasted coffee, right? And it's still and, and we, the case in many markets out there for sure. Yeah. But we, we always joke in specialty training is the new equipment. Right where most people think, well, I'm going to have to buy a nice Lamarzoko machine. I'll, I might get a deal, but but in general, um, you know, the training is the value. At hey, well, you know, we have so and so who is a celebrated and decorated barista who's going to come in and train you, or we have this program that's built on you know X, Y, and Z standardized right. um, you know brewing methodology, and we're going to come in and and support you. Um, in this way, because maybe, you know, this is not something you're as comfortable with as a, an owner or operator in imparting into your team. I guess I'm curious, what ways have you seen, uh, you know, this value communicated? Because at the end of the day, most roasters still are not expecting their, you know, primary wholesale customers to to actually be cutting a check for these classes, Right. Um, or, you know, how have you seen this communicated out to them to where they right. don't take advantage of it and their team isn't just not showing? Because, again, I've lived that life as a trainer. Sure. And, and it, I mean, I just cannot communicate how disappointing um, it feels, even if your own company is valuing you and taking care of you, so on and so forth. There is just no feeling worse than, oh, hey, uh, you know, my my two o'clock didn't show up. Yes. Don't tie this back to me being late to the episode tonight. It has nothing <laughs> to do with that. <laughs> no. Uh, well, you know, I think that, the, the, yeah, I, I think that when you do free training, you get the, you know, the value of that is as much as you're charging, which is zero. It's the same thing with giving away free equipment. The customer never values that equipment, and they abuse it. They don't maintain it because they think, I'll just get another free one. It will just keep coming. And it's when you shift that. I mean, I, I, the only way I can compare it is that, you know, in the Bay Area here, San Francisco, it was, uh, hey, you know, we want to be your wholesaler. Okay, what do you got? We're going to give you a brewer. A grinder, okay, but the competitors offered me a free espresso machine. Well, I mean, I, then you start doing the math, like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't pencil out, and everybody was ratcheting up the free equipment, but it was never good equipment, and the customer never took care of it. And then we, to get out of that, we basically sat down with the customer and and did the math. I'm charging you X amount of dollars for wholesale. I can charge you this this much less because if I have to buy an espresso machine, buy a grinder, you know, buy this to give you for free, then I have to make up for that. This is a business at the end of the day. I'm not a charity or I'm not an NGO. Yeah, there is no free lunch. Right. Really, so when, it was, it I'll reduce your wholesale cost, but you'll buy this equipment and we'll train you how to use it properly, but it's good equipment and your staff will want to do well with it. And then that shifted the value proposition. Now, I think, you know, who has been successful with doing this is a company like Intelligentsia, 
who had, you know, world champion baristas, and it was more you're lucky to even get the opportunity to be be trained here. Um, you're you're not going to be late, and you're not going to not show because you will never, you know, be allowed to grace these doors again. And they did not have that problem. People were lining up to take their trainings, and and their wholesale program was very vibrant back in the day. And uh, I think it's because they invested a lot in talent, and that talent was known industry-wide. It wasn't just, you know, they were the, the big fish in the small pond of their market. They were known, you know, internationally, So it, it, the, and the investment paid off for them. Now, I don't know if they ever charged for this training. I, I, I don't know that. My assumption is, is that they did because the quality of the training was quite good. The people that were in charge of the training program when I was aware of them on a, you know, watching them closely, you know, these people were also instructors in the SCAA at the time. And they were, you know, they were practicing their chops through the SCAA on instructing that they were taking back to their own company and their investment in their training centers were, were top notch. I mean, it looked like a functioning cafe when you went into these training centers and it was, uh, you know, very, a lot of investment went into that. But it worked for them. Now, I think if you're a smaller roaster and you don't have the budget, you're not going to be able to compete at that high of a level. But then make your actual coffee program mirror what you have the money to do. So, you know, a prime example of that was I personally, even though I was the chair of the World Barista Championship, I was not altogether sold on the idea that everybody needed an espresso machine in their establishment, especially restaurants. Because the argument that I would have made at the time is that there are a lot of coffee houses in any given town at this point. I mean, Providence, for example, where you are. I mean, there's a how good when you go to a restaurant, let's not a non-Italian, let's just say, you know, you go to a a regular old restaurant, and they have an espresso machine, how good do you think that drink is going to be at that establishment? Probably not very good. And meanwhile, next door, you're going to get a fantastic espresso or cappuccino because that's their focus. That's what they do great. Mm. So what I would argue at the time, what I was pushing to restaurants because I didn't, A, didn't want to get that deep into espresso, and B, I didn't have a great trainer at the time, was, you know, here in Sonoma County with with wines and seasonal food and seasonal eating was offer a seasonal tableside French press menu. You can never go wrong. Nobody's going to ever get up and walk out because they can't get a cappuccino if that's being offered. You could rotate the coffee so they're always in season. You could tell the same story about that coffee that you're telling about your wines on your wine list or your uh, you know, or, or whatever other, you know, top end rums or beers that you're selling or whatever you're into, you can have the same story for your waiters. It's easy to do. It's easy to do correctly. And it, it is a good profit center. Whereas, you know, an espresso machine for a restaurant, it's, you know, an espresso machine, a grinder, the the tamper, the knockbox, the, you know, all of a sudden you've got six feet of dedicated counter space just to serve a cup of coffee versus a hot water tower, a grinder, and some French presses, and you're good to go with a very good program if you teach them right, or, or Chemexes, or whatever you want to do. So I was pushing that, and we were able to train around that, 
uh, seasonally throughout the, the year. Like now we're dealing with centrals, and this is how we our brewing parameters are when we deal with these coffees. And they were mirror, mirroring the you know the Gold Cup standard, but it was still you know changing the brewing parameters for the time of the year. It was easy to train it. It was easy to standardize it. It was easy for the staff to understand and grasp it and feel successful at it. Therefore, it was a successful training program versus my early espresso training programs were a nightmare. I mean, I had to call in Ellie Hudson uh, to come help us because I was like, look, I, I'm drowning over here. I need need some help. And uh, and she was able to help me craft a very good program. But at that time, I still, you know, predominantly I was dealing with restaurants here in the wine country and bakeries and, and, you know, espresso was deemed as you had to have, but I was on a mission to talk people out of it and getting into the idea of the, the, the myriad of great, you know, flavor opportunities that were there for brewed coffee. You've been listening to The Exchange, presented by Olam Specialty Coffee, hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey, directed by Mike Ferguson. Our opening theme, Hospital Coffee by The Womb. Our closing theme is Grinder by S.J. Malia. Remember, you can email us at theexchange at olamnet.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks for part two of The Roaster and customer training and now your postscript oh 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 um deuce bigelow um oh god rob schneider yeah